Today, we continue our look at spiritual gifts, uniquely the ones recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 12, and how they specifically point back to Jesus. We'll take a look at a few of these gifts next on Way of Grace. Spiritual gifts. To be sure, we do have gifts that are given to the church and for specific purposes and reasons. We're seeking to understand these gifts and why they are beneficial to the church and how they relate to Christ. Now today, we continue with our look at the gifts of healing, miracles, and prophecy. We'd invite you to spend time with us today as we understand these amazing gifts that God himself has given us, his church. Here's Jesse with more. The title of our message is, again, the prophet, the benefit, the blessing, the mutual uh, corresponding benefit of spiritual gifts in the plural. Subtitle, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I shared with you last week that in order to understand aright the apostles' aim, we have to recognize that what we are looking at in the nine gifts that are given in 1 Corinthians 12 as not individual packages to be dispensed to the believer at his will or her desire, but rather we have a composite in the nine gifts that make up the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is God's Messiah, who is the one that bridges heaven and hell. And by virtue of his messianic character and messianic traits, we have come to recognize what is meant by the statement that the angel made and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning by interpretation, what? God with us. And what we do with understanding 1 Corinthians 12 is to understand it redemptively and Christocentrically, that what we are privileged to do as we work through these gifts is see how these gifts have their origin in Jesus, the Messiah, as we learned in Isaiah chapter 11, that Jesus bore these gifts. And I will assert this as we work through the last four or five gifts, that all of the gifts that Paul is going to talk about here in 1 Corinthians 12, and there are other gifts, as we have already noted, First uh, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and then a couple of other places, First Thessalonians 5, and we'll get to them in the new year. But what we are looking at in, in chapter 12 is really an extension of Christ through the church. The big picture that you want to capture is when Jesus says, go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always unto the end. And when you read in Mark's gospel and Jesus, uh, having risen from the dead, sent them into the world to preach the gospel, he working with them in the work. We can comprehend then how that Christ is with the church and operating through the church and the members of the body of church that are of the church that are yielding to Jesus become, if you will, a manifestation of the incarnate son of God. As Christ would say to Stephen, not Stephen rather, but to the apostle Paul in Acts chapter nine, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting thou me? When Saul never even saw Jesus. What he did see was a manifestation of Christ in the body of Christ called the church. 
Christ had taken up such an intimacy with his church, dealing with one who was in opposition to the church, which is where we are in 1 Corinthians 12. This very same apostle who is putting forth this divine labor to help us understand the opposition that has come at the church at Corinth was himself an enemy of the church, was himself one who opposed the claims of Jesus as Messiah, one himself who was chopping up the members of Christ, condemning them to death, only to discover that he was uh, futile in his efforts because God was able to raise his members from the dead. Amen. And so as we are looking at 1 Corinthians 12, there are a couple of things I want to make sure that we get as we get ready to dive into uh, these subsequent gifts that we have developing starting in verse 9. The Apostle Paul has made a running start, if you will, in his aim to deal with this particular set of questions that came to him. I think I told you last week, Paul is not just sitting back somewhere writing to the church at Corinth in a vacuum. He is responding to letters that have been sent to him of believers in the church at Corinth who have been concerned about allegations by others in Corinth as to what the gifts are, how the gifts manifest themselves, and how those gifts impact the people among them. In other words, there were truly wise men and women among the Corinthians who discerning that several of the people in Corinth who are boasting in the gift of speaking in tongues largely, are boasting in the gift of languages, are boasting in the gift of healing, were boasting in ways that concerned these mature believers. And I'm sure that as these believers engaged their dear brothers and sisters around their kind of carnal and what we would call secular and pagan expression of the gifts, because I reminded you last week that Corinth is the only church in your Bible, with which the issue of the gifts of this nature is being dealt with. The Apostle Paul did not make this a general pattern to the church at Rome, to the church at Ephesus, or Philippi, or Colossae, or Thessalonians. None of them ever got treated with this topic. Can I tell you why? It was never a problem in those churches. They didn't have the context that Corinth had. And the letters being written by the Spirit of God are written to churches in whom the context fits the exhortation or the imperative or the warning. And so we don't have the struggle in Thessalonica around, you know, who is the greatest of them all or whose gift is shining more than other people's gifts. And truly, that's what we got going on in Corinth. How do we know? The way that Paul begins to deal with this topic is in chapter 10 which I call the chapter on sobriety. We'll get there because in our last point, that's where we go as a premise for what he's going to say about the spirit baptizing us into one body and us all drinking of one spirit. That's how we're closing today in 1 Corinthians 12. But he started that language back in chapter 10, of which he said in chapter 10, he says in chapter 10, verse 11, that we need to be careful lest while we think we are standing, we are falling while we're standing. So chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians can be described as a call to sobriety because in verse 13, he says, let us flee idolatry and every form of lust that would indicate that we are departing from Christ. So we move from 1 Corinthians 10 on the subject of sobriety to 1 Corinthians 11 on the subject of authority. 
Paul is dealing with people in the church who are neglecting to understand the hierarchical structure of God in terms of his creation mandate and then his his new creation mandate. That is particularly the church. He said, as he opened up first Corinthians 12 in his his normal phraseology, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that the head of Christ is God. And that the head of the man is Christ. And that the head of the woman is the man. He begins that very toxic and bold argument of which our churches today are violating on all kinds of level. Once again, buying into our culture around a kind of egalitarianism that denies the distinction between male and female and the roles that are divinely set up. And what we have stated was, if you are a part of a church that is really shaping yourself into the image of the culture, you are not a church of Christ. It doesn't matter how much the culture is telling you, you can do this and you can do that. If you are a child of God, you are bound by scripture. You're bound by the word of the living God. It doesn't matter how many people tell you you are free to do this or that. God said it himself. You are not to follow a multitude to do evil. The true church will be found to be a bride without spot and blemish because she will have submitted herself to the authority of her head, who is Christ. Every local church, therefore, that professes and boasts to be a church of Christ is only affirmed in that boasting if they obey the word of God. Where you do not obey the word of God, you are not a church of Christ. And so Paul moves from dealing with the sobriety of the people of God, not boasting in themselves to the authority of the chain of commands, because the church, very much like a marriage, becomes a model of the complementarian relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. When a man loves his wife as the head of his wife, he loves her as Christ loves the church. When a woman takes her position as a helper and supporter of the man, she is representing the glory of Jesus in his submission to his father. And where those roles are violated, turned upside down, negated or relegated to insignificance, the devil is at work. His whole goal was to bust up the Imago Dei when he attacked the woman. You guys remember that? And we're dealing with salient elements of that in our present culture, arrogantly, boastfully in the church. And so Paul deals with that in chapter 11, which I am calling divine authority. So we're dealing with sobriety. Then we're dealing with authority. When we get to chapter 12, where you and I are, we're dealing with spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. Do you know what I said a couple of weeks ago when I opened up talking about how the triune God was working together to the dispensing of the gifts? That when Paul said that we are operating by the same spirit, by the same Lord and by the same God, that all three persons were working in harmony and unity in the giving of the gifts. The implication of that teaching is this, that Jesus is not giving out gifts to people in the body of Christ without the same mind and heart and will and purpose of the father. That the Holy Ghost is not giving out the gifts that are administered by Jesus with his own goals in mind. The three persons of the Godhead walk in unity. I and my father are one. These three are one. They are one in unity. So what you're looking at as Paul is unpacking the gifts in chapter 12 is how that when the spirit of God gives gifts to the church. Hear me now as we unpack this. You know that the spirit has given them because they produce unity. They produce unity even in their diversity. 
For we have already read that there are member, many members in the body, but it's only one body. And we have heard how that it's the same Lord and the same spirit and the same God separately dividing the gifts as he will for the edification of the body. And what you just heard today read by our elder about the complaints in the body, the eye wishing itself to be a hand and the foot wishing itself to be a mouth and, and other parts wishing to be other things. This is what John Piper called the illness of the body. The body's ill when it doesn't recognize its divine call to be what it is. The body is sick when it's wanting to be something that God in his sovereignty has not appointed it to be. We said that last week, right? God sets and appoints every member in the body according to his will. Now, can you imagine the analogy of a body that's in great conflict in its own self? That body is what? Dysfunctional. That body is what? Sick. That body is ill when the hand is betraying the foot and the foot is betraying the head and the heart is betraying the mouth. You become chaos and confusion to everyone watching. Watch this now. And that's what chapter 14 is about. Chapter 12 is about unity. Chapter 13 is about the substratum or foundation or the motive energy that drives it. And that's called charity. The love of God is the next topic for Paul. After the gifts, he says the gifts only work for God's glory if they're driven by love. They only work for God's glory if they're driven by love. And love is always rooted in obedience. Don't tell me you love God and you are operating out of an alleged gift, but you're doing it in disobedience to your calling. You don't love God. You are your own self-made man or woman. And you are what we call a free radical in the body. I talked about radicality to our sisters yesterday. Now, radical is good as long as it is not unlawful. Free radicals in the body is cancer. And a healthy body has to attack and arrest free radicals, doesn't it? Guess what Paul is doing? Attacking the free radicals in Corinth so the body can operate in a healthy way. What glorifies God is when we operate according to the design for which God made us. Remember, I told you several months ago, truth is reality according to God's design. That which corresponds to God's design is walking in truth. So if you say you are something other than what God made you to be, you're lying. And when you employ gifts that are designed to bring glory to you, and not glory to God. And when the gifts end up resulting in conflict and hostility and division in the church, which you guys know is the problem with Corinth, is it not? By the time we get to chapter 11, Paul says there must be heresies among you because there's divisions all over the place. You guys don't even know how to sit around the table of communion, which is the essence of our unity and eat it without offending one another. How can you tell me you are spiritual? And hence, going all the way back to chapter three, the apostle said, I could not even instruct you in the deeper gospel principles of the word of God because you're not spiritual, you're carnal. The indictment of Corinth is horrible. And this is why I told you last week, I wouldn't want to be the pastor of the church at Corinth. The only kind of person that could pastor Corinth is a brother like Paul who could kill people and raise them again from the dead. <laughs> That's he's the only one that can handle them. Because everybody else was being mishandled by the people in Corinth in his day. Are you guys following me? 
I'm preparing you to now enjoy the rest of the gifts as you understand two things. The origin of the gifts is from a triune God who walks in unity, who promotes harmony on the basis of love, because that becomes a manifestation of Jesus Christ, who himself is the epitome and expression of God's love. Is he not? He is love in total. But when he came, he walked in submission to his daddy. He walked in submission to his father's will. He walked in order. He walked in clarity and he walked in edification. Did he not? And that is chapter 14, which we will embark upon a little bit today. So if you will, let's begin to look at our gifts. I'm going to briefly start again at verse seven. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit, to benefit for the whole body. For to one is given the spirit, given by the spirit, the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. And we quickly captured verse eight as Paul gives us a category of gifts. And I told you last week, he starts off with the gift of word, the gift of word, the gift of the word of knowledge. Do you see that? The gift of the word of what? Faith. And we dealt with the distinction between wisdom and knowledge, did we not? We also understood both of them as having their central manifestation in the work of Jesus Christ. Is not Jesus the word? Is he not the wisdom of God? Is not Christ the knowledge of God? Is not the knowledge of Christ's salvation? And is he not proclaimed and preached both by the angels himself and the church? So the gift of the spirit of the word of wisdom and the spirit of the word of of knowledge is designed for the gospel to be preached and proclaimed efficaciously among the people of God. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to me carefully. All the other gifts that are coming are subordinate to these two. The main gift is the gift of preaching. And teaching by which the glories of God are made known to the hearts and minds of men and women. And then those gifts are aided and augmented by the others, such as we learned last week that we're going to be dealing with now the gift of faith. So we go there and we begin to move into that verse nine of first Corinthians 12. And I'll get a little technical with you because I want to just help you understand some some nuances to another faith by the same what? To another faith by the same spirit. So the third category that Paul deals with is faith. And this is where I left off last time addressing that subject of the gift of faith. And I told you that this is not the gift of faith that is rooted in or associated with you being born again. This is a secondary quality of pistis or faith by which you have the ability by a robust faith that's given to you by the spirit of God to believe over against opposition and hostility of a mountain mountainous nature, that sometimes God will grant this gift of faith in order to help you push through troubles, hear me now, that are so big that there is no rational solution to it. Sometimes God will give us the gift of faith in order for us to lay hold of a promise, because that's what it's for, to believe God to get me through this trial no matter what's going on. And I will tell you now, children of God, if you want any gift, that's the gift you want. You want the gift that allows you to say, God said it, I believe it, and that's it. That's the gift that you want. Because I will state once again that whether you have the gift of the word of wisdom or the gift of the word of knowledge, neither one of those gifts can fire without the gift of faith. Those gifts cannot be ignited without the gift of faith. I think Paul put it like that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13. Pull it up. I want you to hear it. And this also will underscore another factor while I'm talking to you. 
Please understand that while Paul is categorizing gifts, he's not asserting that all you and I get as an individual is one gift. There are people who will have several of the gifts of the spirit that operate in priority of the emphasis of their calling and then subordinate to that as an augmentation. There may be a person called to uh, operate out of and evidences, as we talked about last week, the word of wisdom. But that word of wisdom is almost never going to be disassociated from the word of knowledge. Well, how can you have wisdom without knowledge? But what I told you last week is the word of knowledge gives you the tools. The word of wisdom gives you the skills. The word of knowledge gives you the tools. The word of wisdom does the building. Didn't we learn that? Wisdom hath what? Builded her house. So knowledge are tools. They are the lumber. They are the nails. But without wisdom, you're not going to build anything that's edifying. So Solomon said, give me wisdom, didn't he? And then he told us that in the proverbial language of get wisdom, get understanding. All you're getting, get understanding. But remember, wisdom is the principle. He's the leader. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is our wisdom, is he not? And Jesus is our knowledge. And we learned in Colossians 2, 3, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we're looking at the, the epitome of the gift centered in the person of Jesus. But I asked you this question last week. Did Jesus walk by faith? You better know he did. <laughs> My master walked out of heaven by faith. Entered into the womb of a woman by faith submitted to the processes of the biological uh, stream of development and gestation and, and maturity and conception and deliverance by faith. He submitted himself to a mother and a father by faith. He obeyed their rule by faith. He submitted to the leaders of the church by faith. And when it was his turn to do ministry, guess what? The Holy Ghost came on him and by faith he went forth executing the preaching of the gospel for his daddy. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I love it the way Peter said it. He committed his soul to the well-keeping of him who had sent him. Jesus is the epitome of faithfulness. This is 2 Corinthians 4.13, sweetheart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4.13 explains to us how Paul understands the, the greatness wherewith God used him. Watch this now. We having the same spirit of what? Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth about him and the apostles and the work that they do. Now watch what he says. We have the same spirit of faith. That's the third categorical gift, isn't it? We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. Watch this. I what? Believe. That's the verbal form of faith. And therefore have I what? See it? See the correlation between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and faith? And I shared this with you last week. You and I know that we have bumped up against assignments where we have been negligent with our God and our faith had been deflated by our carnal tendencies. And that faith was not there to help share the word with that person who needed to hear that word in that moment. Raise your hand if you can bear record with what I'm saying. And you were like, whoa, why am I so uh, reticent, so not willing to talk to this person. Why am I discombobulated? Why am I, I, I know the Bible, I know the word of God, but why am I not ready to share? Because you have neglected to have your faith nurtured. Studying God's word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. 
We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.